I want to welcome you into the Sunday Preaching Podcast of the Point Church, located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Grab your Bible. Will you do that? It's time to get into the Scriptures and turn to Galatians chapter 4 today. Galatians uh, chapter 4 is our text as we are walking through uh, this book uh, in a series that we have entitled, A Stay with the Grace of Jesus. And so open your Bible there, Galatians chapter 4 and uh, we'll begin walking through it in just a minute. I have chosen today for my title, Grow Up, Don't Back Up. Grow Up, Don't Back Up. I want you to say that with me. Grow Up. One more time. Grow Up. Oscar Wilde, the writer, said, You're young only once, but you can be immature indefinitely. I want you to think about your life today, your relationship with Jesus, and I want you to answer the question, have you moved from spiritual kindergarten, the ABCs, if you will, to being, as Colossians says, more deeply rooted in Christ? When we were in the book of Hebrews several months ago, we came to chapter 6, and the writer there said, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ or doctrine of Christ and let us go on to maturity. Grow up. Become more mature in Christ. At the end of our text today, Paul is going to say part of that growing up process is that we don't back up. We don't turn away We don't go backwards, maybe, to the things of this world or to faulty doctrine or the way we were brought up if it doesn't line up with the grace of Jesus. Paul is saying, don't reinvent the wheel. You don't have to change things up. You don't have to attempt to uh, to make the gospel better, if you will. You can't improve on Jesus. Just keep your eyes on Christ. Keep moving forward in His grace. So let me begin uh, the sermon with a question that maybe I would ask at the end of the service. I want to ask you in your life, where are you at today spiritually? Where are you at today? Are you growing in Jesus? Let me pause for just a second and say maybe you're here and you've never come to Christ. You've never been born again. Here's what we believe. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood. He took the sins of the world in his body on the tree so that today all who will acknowledge that they're a sinner, sin is missing the mark. I've disobeyed God's law. I've sinned against God. We saw it last Sunday, didn't we? We have trespassed. We're transgressors. We've sinned against God. We acknowledge that. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ not as a way, a good way, or the best way, but the only way. And then we confess our sin and confess Him as Lord. And the Scripture says, John 3, we're born again. We're born from above. 
And there's a moment in all of our lives when we were Christians, when we were born again, and from that moment, your life has changed, you're a new creation in Christ, and your life is heading a whole new direction. You're in Christ, Christ is in you. How many of you were here last Sunday? Wave at me. If you were here last Sunday, if you didn't raise your hand, where were you? I'm only kidding, I'm only kidding. Last Sunday, we talked about being baptized into Christ, and the word there is to be immersed in Jesus, Okay. The cross is not your good luck charm. Jesus is not an add-on to your life. Jesus is your life. A Christian is to be immersed in Jesus, in Christ. So I ask you today, are you in Christ? Have you been born again? If you haven't, we pray today would be your day of salvation. In a few minutes, we have an opportunity for you to pray with some counselors. We call them encouragers. And man, we pray that no one would walk Uh, out of this building and into their car and leave today unsure about your salvation. Now, with that being said, I'm going to guess that most of you that got up and made an effort to get here, you brought your Bible, your phone, your tablet or something, you have a profession of faith in Christ. You have a testimony. Like for me, I was 13 years old when I was born again. So here I am, uh, 37, almost 38 years later, It's a good thing to pause every now and then and just simply ask yourself the question, hey, where am I at spiritually? So I want you to ask, uh, answer that question, all right? So have a conversation with yourself right now, all right? Where are you at spiritually? So here's the reality, gang. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. There's no such thing as sitting still, okay? You're either growing and maturing in Christ or you're not. We're called to grow in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus. So let me make another statement here so that it's very clear. Every one of us, we are responsible for our own growth. Now, it's my job to shepherd and feed and teach the Word of God and to help you in your journey of faith as a pastor, but ultimately, I remind you today, you are responsible for you. You have to be focused. You have to be committed. You have to invest your time and your energy in your growth process. But yet we see Paul makes a reference more than once in his writings to Christians who act like children. How many of you have read that in your Bible reading, right? Uh, You know, he says, hey, come on, grow up, right? Grow up. He says uh, in the book of Ephesians that some of you, you know, you've been born again, but you're you're still like a child. You're tossed about to and fro. You're chasing after every little wind of doctrine. What's the newest fad? What's the newest question? You're all over the map, and, and you're not settled in Christ. Sometimes when you're new and tender in Christ, you're a little bit more open, and, and you can be gullible, right? And that's how people get drawn into uh, cults and even into false teaching. We have a very clear directive from the Lord. We talk about this in our lunch with a pastor when we talk about the vision and mission of our church, the very first thing we say is that we all need to remember the purpose of our church. It should be the purpose of every church. Nothing wrong with socializing, nothing wrong with having fun. I often say my spiritual gift is hanging out. The church does not exist to merely fill up social calendars. The church exists to obey the Lord, which is... Matthew 28, 18 to 20, go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
baptize them as we did today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that's not the end of it. Remember, the call is not to get decisions, to get people to make decisions. The call is to make disciples. And part of that discipleship is, is that you teach them to observe. Teach them to obey all that the Lord has commanded. So think about this. You've got a young, new, tender believer in Christ. It is the body of Christ's responsibility to come alongside them and to help them grow and to say, hey, it's okay where you're at, okay? It's okay to be you and to be where you're at. It's just not okay to stay there. You've got to move forward and you've got to grow in your relationship with Christ. It's why Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who was martyred because of his strong stand for the gospel, he said, only those who obey can believe, and only those who believe can obey. Can I read that again? Only those who obey can believe. There is a response to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and only those who believe, in other words, you've been born again, can actually obey the commands of the Lord. In the church at Galatia, there were some Christians, young, tender Christians, about 14 or 15 years uh, after the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, who had obeyed the call for salvation. They had responded to the work of the Holy Spirit, but now they were struggling with obedience after conversion. The only way, gang, that we're going to truly, truly grow in Christ is to live a life of obedience a life of obedience to the Scripture. Now, let's take Paul for just a minute. Paul writes this letter, and he's burdened about this church. We see his burden in verse number 11 of chapter 4. you got your Bible open. You can look down there. He just says, hey, I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned that my labor may be in vain. Now, hear me. Paul is not saying, you know, I'm afraid you're going to lose your salvation, okay? Uh, He's really not even saying, I'm afraid that you didn't really get saved. Because this letter is written to the church, to Christians, made up of uh, born-again believers. What he's saying is, is that I have a concern that you're not going to keep growing, being obedient to the Lord, and that this church will continue to flourish. How many of you believe that God wants his church to be strong? Strong. Strong in our doctrine. Strong in our practice. Strong in our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. All right, those are two $4 words that basically means strong in what we believe, that we are orthodox Christians. We are Bible-believing Christians, and when you believe that, it affects your orthopraxy, which is the way you put it into practice, the way you live. And as we live out our faith, we grow. And remember, the local New Testament church will only be as strong as the Christians that are a part of it. In other words, this church will grow as I grow and as you grow. Remember for me as a pastor, I am responsible for my walk with Jesus. I should be growing. I should be moving forward. And for heaven's sake, in this day and time as a pastor, I should not be backing up on the Scriptures. I should be standing strong on the Scriptures, and so should you. So Paul has this in mind as he's writing this section. He's saying, that you have received Jesus, he's your Lord, you're in Christ, 
Christ is in you. Now, let's move forward. Quit getting sidetracked with the Judaizers and with every wind of doctrine and every fad, stay focused on the gospel of grace. I want to show you three things in this section today real quick, all right, of what Paul says about growing up and not backing up, all right? We're going to get into the text now. The first thing I want you to see, Paul says, act like a son. Act like a son. The section actually begins back in verse 27, uh, where we were last Sunday. So let me back up there, if I may, and just uh, read from verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That is, immersed into Christ, the righteousness of Christ, you have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying your ethnicity, your gender, are you a Jew, are you a Gentile, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The body of Christ is singular. The body of Christ is made up of made up of those who have repented of their sins and believed on Christ. And now you're in Christ, and Christ is in you, verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The paragraph continues on into chapter 4 and verse number 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date is set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, Paul gives us an illustration here. He gives the Galatians an illustration of being an heir. It says, if you uh, are a Christian, now you are heirs to the promise. The promise given to Abraham has now been delivered to you in Jesus Christ. And he says, you are like a son, a son that is born into a wealthy family, and he's got a big uh, inheritance coming his way. But he's too young and he's too tender and too immature uh, to receive that inheritance right now. So if you think about it, we understand that someone that's over in the toddler room, one of those boys or girls in the toddler room today, that uh, they couldn't handle, they wouldn't know what to do with a $100 bill if you gave it to them, right? Now, some of the parents are saying, yeah, I've got a 17 and 18-year-old the same way, okay? But as you grow up, as you grow up, you become more mature and you become responsible. So uh, Roman law put into place in the matter of wills and inheritance that you would first of all uh, have a guardian that would look over you and your inheritance between the ages of 5 and 14, and then you would go to a manager, if you will, of your portfolio or whatever belonged to you between the ages of 14 and 25 because you should be maturing along the way and you need to be taught, spoken to differently about what is coming your way. So you need some oversight. We all understand that uh, next door we have uh, the nursery, the bed babies, and then uh, once you 
are able to walk and you mature a little bit more, you move over into the preschool and then you move into the toddlers and then eventually you move into the graded area and then uh, maybe you move over into the middle school and the high school. How many of you know there should be some growing up going on here, right? And so you're at a different stage in your life where you have greater responsibility. Pastor John was in my office this week, and we were talking about this text, and I was a student pastor for 13 years, so we would illustrate it this way. You go to camp, and you got a middle schooler going for the first time, and mom and dad gives you know $25 or $30 to, to manage and oversee for the week. And you're thinking, you know, that they're going to uh, be responsible and be mature, and they're going to go, okay, I got $30 in five days, uh, so I've got $6 a day to spend. And then you travel to camp, and you get there, and uh, you're ready to go to bed that night, and Johnny comes to you and says, I don't have any money. And you said, well, Johnny, when you left, you had $30. Well, yeah, we stopped at the gas station, and he got some, uh, some sour licorice, and then we stopped for lunch, and he got a combo with an apple pie. And then we got to the camp, and he wanted to go to the gift shop. Uh, the very first thing, and buy him a T-shirt and a coffee mug. Got to have that, right? And then by the end of the day, he spent all his money. Some of you are looking at me with a, a blank look. That means you've never been a student pastor, okay? All right? So you, you give money to your children, and you hope they're responsible for it. How many of you remember back how thankful you were when you gave your teenagers or young adults money and they actually brought you the change back, right? I mean, they were actually responsible with it. So Paul is painting this picture of immaturity and growing to maturity. He said there's a reason, there's a reason this son has guardians and managers to oversee the inheritance. So he shifts that analogy into verse 3 and he says, in the same way we also... We were children enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Now, hear me for just a minute. This verse has reams and reams and reams of paper written about what does it actually mean. First of all, when Paul says we, who specifically is he talking about? Most scholars land that he is talking from a Jewish perspective, okay? He says that when we were children, we were born into Judaism. We were born into the Jewish family. We were born, literally bloodlines, we were born into the chosen people of God who received the law and also uh, would ultimately receive the Messiah. So he says, we were children and we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Again, I challenge you to do a little bit further Bible study on this. Because of time, let me just point and say that I believe he's saying there, we were basically under the law. He's using the law as being the elementary things of this world. It would be like this, that uh, you're in kindergarten, you learn the ABCs, right? But you know that that's just the beginning. You learn the ABCs, and when you get in middle school, high school, and college, you're still not reciting your ABCs. You've already learned those things. So Paul gives them a picture maybe that the rabbis uh, were, or the Judaizers, through the teachings of the rabbis, were basically saying 
that if you want to go to graduate school, if you want to be really smart, that you need to be obeying the law. You need to be following all 613 laws. Paul is saying what they don't understand is that is really just the ABCs. God was just beginning. That's the elementary things. Now that you have been born again, now you're not just a son of promise in Judaism You are a son of promise as a child of God. Now act like an heir of the promise. God sent me here today to just say to this room, I've already said it once, let me say it again, that God wants us to embrace the inheritance that we have and act and live like a son. That we are all supposed to be growing up. Growing up in Christ. So let me ask you again, are you growing today? Are you growing up in Christ? Are you still on the ABCs, the elementary things? Is it time for you to take a step? Is it time for you to grow up in Christ? Paul is saying, act like a son. The second thing he's saying in verse number four is he's saying, affirm God's sovereign plan. Affirm God's sovereign plan. Look at verse number four. But when the fullness of time had come. Now, can we pause there for just a minute and just kind of breathe in that phrase and think about it? We were talking about this in our leadership pipeline class the other night as we were looking at theology. I need to remind you that God does not operate in our time and our space. God is outside of time and space. Uh, He doesn't have a calendar like you do, okay? Um, God doesn't have a planner, a day planner, or a scheduler of things that he hopes to get done today, okay? Or things, I've got some plans and I hope they happen. I want you to, for just a minute, think about your theology, and you've got to think about the God of the universe. He is outside of time and space, And he is working his plan and his purposes. And his plan and his purposes never fail. God does not have a day of discovery. Please hear me. Uh, We have a resurrection somewhat, I believe, today of of open theism uh, in certain circles. And I just want to admonish you and challenge you again. Just be careful. Uh, Don't be gullible. There's so many things out there bouncing around. I was reading some things yesterday a pastor out in Texas uh, at a church who uh, just made some statements on Twitter. And uh, when we talk about, well, you know, let's broaden our tent, let's, you know, let's just be more inclusive. Uh, there, there are some things that are tier one that we will not be inclusive on, and that is the exclusivity of Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Uh, this pastor had said, you know, that, that uh, God did not crush his son, he crushed sin. And uh, I just simply would say to that, uh, Isaiah 53 says that God crushed his son, right? I mean, just read your Bible. Everybody okay? Can we just stick with the Bible? Is that okay instead of just outsmarting the Bible? Uh, I, I don't care what church you pastor, how many people you've got. If you don't believe in the substitutionary atonement of Christ, you don't believe the Word of God. It's that simple. Let's just stick with the Bible. I'm getting a little fired up right now, okay? Let's just stick with the Scriptures. And so, God is working his plan. He's working his redemptive plan. 
Uh, there's a scarlet thread that starts in the book of Genesis and runs all the way through it. And, and, and there was an appointed time. Hear me, there was an appointed time. Some people view the crucifixion of Christ as a time when Christ came and, you know, he couldn't overcome his enemies and they just overpowered him or he was weak. Uh, and, and you and I know that, that he could have wiped them all out, but he didn't do it for a purpose. God so loved the world that he gave. He sent his only begotten son, Jesus. He sent Jesus to this earth to do what? To die, to die on the cross. And so Jesus was not a weakling that could not overcome his enemies. Jesus was doing the will of the Father, the sovereign plan of the Father. When the fullness of time had come, that meant it was God's time and God's moment to send Jesus onto the world stage in order to fulfill his redemptive plan. Now, Paul fleshes that out for us. Look at verse number four. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. John 3, 16, right? He was what? Born of a woman. So Paul is emphasizing the virgin birth of Christ. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary, conceived of the Holy Ghost, fulfilling the purpose of God that dated all the way back to the prophecies of Isaiah. Paul's just affirming the Scripture. He says, Jesus was also born under the law. Jesus was born a Jew, okay? He was Jewish in his birth. He was Jewish in his upbringing, Jewish in his education. So he was born under the law. The promised seed was promised to Abraham. Remember, the gospel was preached to Abraham. We saw it a couple of Sundays ago. And now the promise is fulfilled in Christ. But what is the purpose of that promise? What is the promise? Keep reading. The promise is that he would redeem he would redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Man, those verses right there are enough to make a Baptist shout. I mean, come on now. This is the gospel. This is the gospel, gang. This is the summary of the life of Christ. Who he is, where he came from, why he did what he did. And then what effect that has on us today. If you are a Christian, it means that Christ redeemed you. The word redeemed there is literally for someone to be bought from the slave market. They are a slave, a slave to sin, a slave under the law. But Christ redeems us. He purchases us. How? With his blood. He shed his blood on the cross to pay the price for our redemption. And if you've been redeemed, you are no longer a slave but now you're a son. You're a son. There's a sense in which 
Every person born is a child of God. God is our creator because he is the giver of life. But there's something different about being a child of God, being born again by his grace. Because Paul said here, he uses an amazing word, an amazing word. The word is adoption. You are adopted into the family of God. And his audience reading this letter fully understood that whether you were looking at it from a Roman or a Greek perspective, adoption meant you're brought into the family and you are just like a blood-born child into the family. You receive all the rights and all the privileges. And that's what happened for me and you when we were born again. You know what, gang? That happens, hear me, that happens in the sovereign plan and will of God. I get often asked about free will and sovereignty. Free will and sovereignty. What about free will? Yes, free will and sovereignty. But I'm going to tell you something. God knew the day you were going to get saved, it was on his calendar. He knew it. And remember this, he chose you before you chose him. I'm going to show you that in the scripture here in just a second. That God loved you so much. God loved you so much that he sent his son knowing that he was going to purchase you and save you, that ought to make you feel special today. That ought to make you feel loved. It's the sovereign will of God. Paul says, don't back up, don't back up, but rather affirm, affirm the sovereign plan of God. It's much greater to be a son of a child of God than it is to be a son of Abraham. <laughs> Come on now, get it? It's much better to be a son and child of God than it is a son of Abraham. And that's a blessing today that you and I have received if we are in Christ. And you know what it does? It gives us the privilege as the adopted sons of God to cry out, Abba, Father. That expression is a term of endearment. Literally in the Jewish culture, it would be like, you know, uh, when, we, uh, when I was growing up, I didn't refer to my dad as, I didn't say, hey, father. I said, hey, dad, right? Because it was, it was intimate. It was personal. The expression there is literally in the, in the Jewish culture to say dad or even to say daddy. We don't want to take that too far in, in, uh, in being too watered down or disrespectful in the original language, but it is clearly a, a term of endearment. And think about when you're growing up or uh, you needed your dad, what did you do? You would cry out, Dad, Dad. Don't miss Paul's expression and passion here. He says, we cry out, Abba, Father. Have you found yourself crying out to your father recently? Have you? Oh, there's some people in our church that, that are going through some stuff, been going through some stuff. We all going to go through some stuff because that's life, right? Isn't it a wonderful thing, child of God, to be able to cry out to your father and to know that he's there and that he's listening? And he says that when you're born again, you've got the father, you've got the son, and notice you've got the spirit, the spirit of his son into our hearts. God wants me to tell someone today, no matter what you're going through, be reminded He is with you every step of the way. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
and God is working his plan in your life. You say, Tim, right now I don't like his plan. You know what? Sometimes I get in that. You do have times when you don't agree with God, right? Don't get all super spiritual on me. Sometimes, God, things happen. You've got to, why? Why, God? Why did that have to happen? But we know this, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know, we know, we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So as we grow up in Christ, stay with me, as we grow up in Christ, part of growing up and being mature is that you know God is sovereign and he's in control and we just got to trust him in all things. So act like a son. Affirm God's sovereign plan. Let me wrap this section up by saying thirdly, age well in Christ. Age well in Christ. Uh, Josh and uh, Blake is here and our daughter Becca's here. and uh, Our niece Hannah, you've heard me mention her, she works for First Baptist Pensacola in their communications department. They were all over the house last night. We were laughing and cutting up and having a good time. And uh, there were a couple of canes that were over in the corner of the room. I did receive two canes for my 50th birthday. And um, how many of you are just, come on, you're just, you're just kind of like, you said it maybe this week to somebody, I'm getting old. I'm getting old. Can, can we have a sympathy session for just a second? Some of you have asked me, why are you limping? Friday was a week ago. I tripped getting out of the shower. And I broke, I broke one of my toes. And, and, and it hurts, gang. It hurts. It stinks getting old. As you think about growing old physically, think about growing old spiritually. You know, in my life, I, again, I just turned 50 and and I really have been thinking a lot about this. You know, I, I just don't want to grow old and be jaded and ornery and that kind of stuff. I, I really, I'd like to be a sweet old man. I really would. I, I don't know if I'm well on my way or not. Don't ask my family. But I really would like to, I want to age well. I do. I, I, I want to I be productive. I want to be fruitful as many days as the Lord leaves, has me here on this earth. I want you to think about aging well in Christ. Paul is saying as you move forward, as you mature in Christ, look at verse number 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Most scholars say Paul maybe is pivoting here a little bit to the Greek culture. Think about it in this time, in this region, there were temples. Uh, there was the temple to Zeus and others. And, and in this culture, the, the people were conditioned to think, I need the blessing of that God and, and of that God and of that God. I need all of their blessings on my life to survive. And Paul is saying, when you did not know God, when you did not know the one true God, you were chasing after the gods of this world. But verse number 9 says, but now, now that you have come to know God, I love this next phrase, or rather to be known by God. Man, that's so good. Come on, gang. God knows you. Before you knew him, before you cared about, before you even care about him. You know, that's why 
you and I need to be diligent in our evangelism. You know why? Because there are people today that hate God and want nothing to do with God that God's going to use to advance his kingdom. Did y'all hear what I just said? You, you said, well, prove it. Okay, Saul of Tarsus. I'm reading his letter right here. He was on the wrong path, and God saved him and changed him. The, the Scripture says that God knows you. Look in 1 Corinthians 8, 3 on the screen. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. Psalm 139, verse number 1, O Lord, you have searched me and, say it with me, known me. How about Jeremiah? I love this. Jeremiah says the word of the Lord came to him. God spoke directly to him, and he wrote it down in the inspired, infallible, and errant word. God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, listen to me. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Paul says, don't forget, God, God, you think you know God, praise God, you do now. You found Jesus, and you know the one true God, but God's always known you. He's emphasizing the blessings. Here's what he's emphasizing, God's pursuit of us. God's pursuing us. Because God loves us, and he's pursued us, and he sent us his son how then shall we live? Keep reading. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid that I may have labored in vain. Paul is saying, don't turn back. It's a message the church needs to hear today. Stick with Jesus. Stay with the grace of Jesus. Stick with the Word of God. I was reading back through the other day a book that I read sometime back by Alyssa Childers on another gospel, and she made the point about the authority of the Word of God. And she said, today we're living in an age where our feelings, we get up in our feelings and how we feel, and how we feel is more important than what God has said. What it will cause us to do is it will cause us to water down the Scripture, and it will cause us to develop a mindset and an attitude just like Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say that? Well, God didn't mean that. Let's read it. Let's see what God said, and let's know that God meant it, right? And, and, and we don't need to get up in our feelings. You know, people say, well, I, you know, I just, I just feel like it just doesn't make sense to me. I feel like, I feel like that, that there's going to be more people in heaven than just Christians. How many of you believe that would violate the Word of God? It would just violate the Word of God. It's not a matter of pride and arrogance. It's not like I'm, or, or anyone that believes the Bible is like happy about it. No, it's just forever oh, your Word, O oh Lord, is settled in heaven. Your Word is settled. And we don't need to turn back. Just like this pastor I mentioned in Texas yesterday. Why, why do we feel like we've got to outsmart the Word of God? Because you can't do it. What you're going to do is you're going to lead yourself and your children and your family away from truth. When what we need to be doing is the opposite, leading and staying in the truth. 
Don't turn back. Don't turn back. And keep moving forward. So let me ask you again. I'm going to wrap this up. Let me ask you again. Are you moving forward in Christ? Are you growing in Christ? Is your faith getting stronger and stronger? Are you getting a deeper understanding of Scripture and who God is and who you are and how you're supposed to respond to Him? If you're not, I would say it's time to get serious about our faith. It's time to get serious. How many of you believe the hour is urgent? The hour is urgent. We need to get serious about our faith. Several years ago, I read a book. I was given a book called Generational IQ uh, by Hayden Shaw. And he was talking about, in the book, he, he kind of lays out that for the first time in the history of the church, we're dealing with six different generations. Six different generations that are under the banner of the church. Okay, so we're coming together. So think about it. What's the newest generation? It's not, uh, is it Y or Generation Alpha? And that's uh, what ages? Okay, so we've now got Generation Alpha. That's 10 and under. So you go Generation Alpha, you got Generation Y, you got Generation Z, you got Millennials all the way until I'm sort of getting closer to the old fogies, and then you got the older, and then the older, older, and y'all with me? Okay, so think about we're all together now, right? And I can observe over the last few decades in some ways, um, you know, we don't like change, right? We like to hang on to change. We like to hang on to things, and we don't like to change. And so we've seen kind of in the church a little bit of dividing. You know, I've seen it in my lifetime. We divided over, you know, we've had our worship wars and, you know, and just so many different things. And, you know, like um, like I'm standing here today in blue jeans, and y'all forgive me for that, okay? I know it's a sin, but uh, um, at least my mama thinks so. Um, no, y'all with me? We, we've gone through this. Well, those young people, those young people, they just, you know, they want to get up there and play the guitar. Heaven forbid that they would do that, but anyhow... So we have this mentality of what church life is supposed to be and how things are supposed to be done. How many of you are realizing as you get older, you know a whole lot less than you thought you did a while back? Okay. So we've kind of moved. Thank God we've moved away from some of that stuff. And now here we are. Here we are. You know what God wants us to do today? Get focused on loving each other and helping each other grow in Christ. Grow up. There's some middle-aged and upper-middle-aged folks in this church. You ought to be spending your days. God's blessed you to be retired. you got more time on your hands. You ought to be discipling and pouring into young people. I'm telling you, that's going to bear a whole lot more eternal fruit than some other things, <laughs> okay, that we spend our time doing. Think about God's kingdom work. Think about taking a baby. You don't have a baby. You don't bring a baby into your house and then leave them alone and let them grow on their own. You take care of them. You nurture them. You love them. You check on them. That's the way the church is supposed to be. And so we're all growing up. We're all growing up. And as we're growing up together, we're getting stronger in this. We're getting stronger in this. We're not backing up. We're tightening up on what God's Word says. And all God's people said, let's stand together for prayer. If you'll look at me for just one second. When Paul says in verse number 11, 
I hope my labor's not in vain. He wants those churches to grow and to flourish and to keep moving forward. When you read your Bible in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, what do you read? You read about the seven churches in Asia Minor, right? The area of Turkey that at one time were growing churches, healthy churches. The church at Ephesus, birth, birth in Acts chapter 19, a strong church, strong church. Guess what's all over Turkey today? Islamic mosques and the church is invisible. So we shouldn't think that that would never happen to us or our church. So we need to do what the book of Revelation says, strengthen the things that remain. <laughs> Grow up and don't back up. Would you bow your head with me in prayer?